Hey everyone, this is Danielle Gervino, and I'm the New York-based life and style blogger behind DanielleGervino.com. With a few successful years of blogging under my belt and a background in marketing and design, I'm taking you behind the scenes of the industry and sharing my tips and tricks for growing your brand. We'll chat productivity and design, social media, brand partnerships, growth, and more. I'm dishing out my honest, unfiltered advice and exclusive actionable strategies for monetizing your influence. This is Blogging Unscripted. Hey everyone, and welcome to our next episode of Blogging Unscripted. We are going to actually dial it back a bit today and kind of go back to basics. This has been a long-awaited and much-requested episode from you guys, just about kind of those building blocks of your brand. So we're going to run through A to Z of starting a blog, common mistakes that new bloggers make, finding your purpose, choosing your platform. We're going to talk setting up your hosting and domain downloading those key blog plugins, selecting your theme, creating your key pages. I know this is a lot. Content planning, drafting, and marketing, setting up your Instagram for success. I'm going to share a few secrets about that. And monetizing your blog and social media. So we are going to have a jam-packed episode today. Grab your pen and paper or open up your notes app on your phone and get ready for a little bit of a content overload, but in a good way. We're going to cover a lot today. So if you are just starting and you have no idea where to start, we're going to take care of that today. Since I know that not all of us are listening to Blogging Unscripted in succession, episode after episode, I wanted to take a quick second for someone who may be jumping in right away and just listening to this episode first and quickly introduce myself. So hi, I'm Danielle. I blog over at daniellegervino.com. I've been blogging for over five years now, which sounds kind of crazy to say. I have had the privilege of working with some amazing companies like Nordstrom, DSW, Kate Spade, and Express, to name a few. And on my personal blog, I cover mostly fashion and lifestyle, although doing what I'm doing right now and educating my blogging community is really what I find most rewarding. And one of the most common misconceptions when people meet me is that they think I blog full time. And at this time, I'm actually still working full time in marketing and graphic design. And I absolutely love my job, which is why I'm not quite ready to give it up yet. I want to jump right in to some common mistakes that new bloggers tend to make. And believe me, I have been there too. So common mistake number one is launching from a monetization standpoint without a passion or a purpose. I think a lot of times it is very easy to just jump in because you see other people participating in brand collaborations or making affiliate sales and you say, I want to do that too. But there has to be some backing behind your decision to start and it can't be solely rooted in monetization. That's obviously something that we all strive to do as we build our business, but you kind of need to know why you're starting and you need to have that fire to want to start. Common mistake number two is jumping in without a niche or a target audience. 
When I first started my blog, I wanted to be a travel blogger and a fashion blogger and a lifestyle blogger. And I think I also kind of wanted to be a food blogger. (laughs) And my major problem there was that I was jumping in with way too wide of an audience. And so the content that I was producing wasn't necessarily catering to the right people. It's really important that we kind of boil down who we want to be reaching to as small of a pool as possible when we're just starting out because it's going to give us a much more focused approach to being successful. Common mistake number three is sacrificing content over design. This is definitely a mistake that I made at first. I was so excited to get my website built and I just wanted this beautiful website with all of the bells and whistles and I kind of said to myself, well, if I'm going to have a website, I need to have some content and I just started throwing up some content that had absolutely no purpose and no meaning and didn't really match with my brand. I was writing travel guides that were out of date. I was writing packing lists that didn't make sense, recipes that had no place on my blog. And so what I was doing was sacrificing my content and that was hindering my growth. Common mistake number four is failing to commit to consistency. I think the biggest piece of advice that I give you guys when we chat one-on-one or I connect with one of you and you say, what's your advice is consistency. I know that with our schedules and our busy lives that consistency can be really difficult to master, but you don't have to master it right away. You just have to commit to being consistent. Common mistake number five is expecting fast returns without a reasonable steady timeline. You are not going to grow overnight. You are not going to land a brand deal in a week or even a month or even two months. You might, but don't expect it. I think our issue when we expect a fast return is we get let down really quick and it shifts our focus to a place of what do I need to do to succeed and to get the return that I'm looking for rather than what do I need to do to set up a really steady and solid trajectory of growth and success. And then our last common mistake, number six, that new bloggers make is copying content that works for others and thinking that it's going to work for you too. This is something that is so common and something that you shouldn't fault yourself for if you've done it. I did it in the beginning. I'm sure a lot of you guys are listening, saying, nodding your head and and realizing that you've done it too. You see someone doing something that looks really successful and you think, well, let me take it and put my own spin on it. And the issue there is that you're not leading from a place of how can I serve my audience? You're leading from a place of blogger X has been successful with her audience doing Y. So how can I do Y and get Z? And it just doesn't quite add up. Regardless of where you're at in your blogging journey, just keep those in mind because it's really, really going to help you if you're cognizant of them going into it rather than kind of learning and looking back because we all know that hindsight is 2020. So let's transition into our next section, which is perhaps the most important first step of launching and developing a blog, a business, and it's defining your purpose. 
if you have your pen and paper, get ready to write because I want you to write down these four key questions and see if you can jot down the answers to them on your own time. So question number one is what is your area of expertise? Question number two is what do you plan to cover? Question number three is who do you want to reach? And question number four is what is your end goal? Like I mentioned before, oftentimes out of excitement or impatient, we want to jump in right away. I know that feeling. I have been there. But it's important to ask yourself these questions because it's going to help you set up your brand for long-term success. So when you ask yourself, what is your area of expertise? You're thinking, what subject could you talk about for hours? What subject could you teach someone? When you ask yourself, what do you plan to cover? You're thinking about what areas of that subject that you're an expert in do you plan to write about? What are you going to put up on your blog in the form of posts if you are writing about food? Is it going to be recipes? Is it going to be cooking hacks, kitchen hacks, organization? Your area of expertise is kind of your umbrella term and all of these little things fall underneath it. Who do you want to reach is basically who are you writing for? Really broadly, I write for women ages 25 to 34. And then your end goal is really just to kind of understand why you're doing this. Do you want to write a blog as a thought outlet? Do you want to start a blog or a business because you're thinking of developing a course or launching a program? Do you want to monetize through partnerships and affiliate revenue? Where do you want to be when you are at your peak of success? Once you've answered those four initial really important questions, then you can kind of hop over to the next important part, and it's your brand brainstorming. So one little tip I have for you is to secure your domain name before you dive in. You can't begin to build your brand before you have a foundation, and that starts with your name. Some of you guys who have been around for a while know that my blog used to be called Pineapple and Prosecco, and I look back and I'm smiling now and I kind of chuckle at it because it meant nothing. It came out of nowhere. I thought it was a good idea. Actually, I don't even think I really thought. I just wanted to jump in, which is one of those mistakes that new bloggers make. And the really important thing that I skipped over doing is choosing a brand that can grow with me. I wasn't thinking about if pineapple and Prosecco was going to be relevant five years down the road. So what that led to was a rebrand to a namesake brand, daniellegervino.com, about three years into my vlogging journey. You can head over to a website called name.com. And on this website, you can type in any prospective names just to see if they're available on the web. It will tell you if there's a .com domain available. If it's not, it will give you like a .co or a .org option. And I highly recommend finding something that has a .com attached to it. Once you've secured that name, if you haven't already, it's going to be a huge weight lifted off of your shoulders because you have your building blocks and your beginning of your brand. So naturally, the next step after that is to choose your blog platform. A blog platform is a open source content management system that allows you to create a website. 
you may have heard of platforms like WordPress.org, WordPress.com, Squarespace, Blogger, Wix. Those are a few of the really popular ones. And what I want to do today, instead of going through all of them, I want to dig in a little bit to WordPress.org, which is the most widely used platform by bloggers. So why WordPress.org? Oftentimes, one of the very first questions when somebody hears WordPress is, okay, I definitely want to get on WordPress, but do I do WordPress.com or WordPress.org? And I'm going to really quickly and simply break down the difference for you today. So WordPress.com is hosted by WordPress. And what that means is that they store all of your website data. Your website name, if you choose WordPress.com, is going to be a subdomain of WordPress.com. So for example, instead of DanielleGervino.com, my website would be DanielleGervino.wordpress.com. You are unable to upload any plugins with WordPress.com. You can't do any custom coding and there are limited themes. And so I think it's pretty clear that WordPress.org is the better solution. So with WordPress.org, you're going to be paying for your hosting. So instead of WordPress hosting your data, an outside company is going to host your data and you're going to just be editing all of your stuff on that wordpress.org blog. And we're gonna talk more about that in a second. You also pay for your domain. So a .com, a .co, a .net. The other big thing about wordpress.org is that there's a full range of customization. So some big pluses to wordpress.org. They are a long-standing platform. They've been around forever. They have an open source CMS or content management system. They are SEO friendly, which means that they help for your posts and your content to be seen on the web and rank high on search engines. They've got a wide range of functionality. It's easy to manage with added support, quick installation, and it is safe and secure. And no, I am not sponsored by WordPress, but I just really support this platform and very highly encourage you to start here versus starting on a domain, getting set up, and then having to transfer a year or two down the road. So you've defined your purpose, you've secured your domain name, you've chosen your platform, and now it's time to select your hosting provider. So like I said, if you are using a platform like WordPress.org, it means that you need to seek an outside host. What that host is going to do is they're going to store all of the information and data and all of the complicated shit that's on your blog. Some popular hosting providers that you've probably heard of are SiteGround, Bluehost, HostGator, GoDaddy. I personally choose SiteGround and I love SiteGround. I have been with them for over five years and here is why I love them. Number one, they have outstanding customer service and support. Every time I have had an issue, whether it's a small issue or a huge issue like a blog hack, which happened to me a few years back, there are little to no wait times. I don't think I have ever waited over a minute and a half to get a support tech either on chat or on the phone, and they're super knowledgeable about what they do. They really, really care about their customers, and it's very, very apparent through the service that I've gotten over the years. 
If you choose SiteGround, they also give you a free domain name. So whereas you would have to put out that cost, which is not a lot, it's like $15 a year, but where you might have to secure that domain name with a different host, if you choose to host with SiteGround, they build that into their package and give you a free domain name. They do daily backups, so if you for some reason had a crash, your content would be safe and secure. They provide WordPress support, which is really, really helpful for a hosting provider to be super knowledgeable in a blog platform. They do free site transfers. So if you're someone who on a whim was like, I'm going to start with Wix, it's drag and drop, it's super easy, and you're a few months into blogging and you're wanting to switch, SiteGround will transfer your site over to WordPress or wherever you want to go next for free. There's also a very high uptime percentage with SiteGround, which means that there are very few occurrences where your site may be down, whether it's maintenance, server error, anything like that. And lastly, they're affordable. I want to move on and talk a little bit about plugins and the key plugins that you should be downloading. I like to think of a plugin as kind of an app for your website. And so with wordpress.org, you can download any custom plugin from their really expansive library. From protecting your site to adding a contact box or a FAQ dropdown, there are so many options for plugins, but I wanna talk a little bit about six key plugins that everybody should start with for their blog. So number one is Askimit Anti-Spam. This plugin monitors and removes spam from your comments on your blog and your contact boxes. No matter how safe and secure your blog is, bots will still make their way in and this plugin prevents that from happening. Plugin number two is Yoast SEO, and SEO is a conversation for another day. We'll have a full episode dedicated to that, but basically this plugin guides you through the best practices on how to rank with Google and how to get your posts seen and really up high in those search results. Plugin number three for WordPress is WP Supercache. This caches your blog posts to increase your site speed. Especially when you start building up content, you wanna make sure that your site is running as quickly and efficiently as possible. So this is a great one to have to make sure that that's helping your blog run smoothly and quickly. Plugin number four that I recommend is Broken Link Checker. I love this one because it's a set it and forget it plugin. It monitors broken links or images throughout your blog. So if you link to an outside website and that website closes down or is no longer available, it will alert you so you can go back and change that link. Plugin number five, and I use this every time I do a new post, is called Duplicate Post. What this does is it allows for really easy duplication of previous post layouts. So you don't have to start from scratch if you are laying out your blog post in a way where let's say you have two images side by side and then you have some text and then you have two more images. If you want to recreate that layout, you just click one button with that duplicate post plugin and all of that work is done for you. All you're left to do is add in the images and add in the content. 
Plugin number six is called Page Builder by Site Origin. What this plugin does is it allows you to enable a drag and drop responsive page builder for your blog posts. So it makes it really easy to design a beautiful layout without having to know any coding or complicated stuff that most of us don't have access to. I want to add one bonus plugin that I've recently started using and it is called Bulk Smush. I had been noticing that my site was running really slow and I did a few website checks and it had a really low grade because of my site speed. And what I was able to go and find out is that my site was running slow because I had so many images on my blog and a lot of those images weren't compressed and they were taking up a lot of room, they were slowing everything down. So what Bulk Smush is going to do for you is it's going to run through all of your images and it's going to compress them without affecting the quality one at a time. And so it's going to help with your site speed, it's gonna help with your site's efficiency, and this has been such a game changer, lifesaver plugin for me, especially in the last few months. So before we move on from plugins, I wanna share one more with you, which is hosted on your blog, but it's really a plugin that is going to help your social media. And it's called Link in Profile by Empress. This plugin does have a cost associated with it. It costs $34 a year or $280 a month. It is probably one of my most worthwhile expenses. So what Empress Link in Profile is, is it's a plugin that's going to be installed on your blog, but it's going to live as a link on your Instagram bio. So when someone's visiting your Instagram page and they click on the link in your bio, it's actually going to direct them right to your blog. And what LinkedIn Profile is, is it is a page that is fully coded and optimized on your blog that's going to allow people to see things like your recent posts, your most shop items. It's beautifully designed and it's kind of like, I like to think of it as an explore page. So it kind of directs people to exactly where you want them to go. Whether that's an about page, an FAQ page, your subscriber box, your most recent post, it's going to be designed in a way so that people can access those places really quickly and efficiently. You may have heard of widgets like Linktree or Link in Bio. Those are widely recognized and they're used by a lot of bloggers, but there is a major issue with these plugins. When you're using an app like Linktree, all of your apps that you design or your quick links that you are displaying on that explore page of sorts are going to be hosted on an outside website. And the issue there is that Someone is then having to visit this outside site first and then navigate to whatever link they're clicking, be it on your blog, your like to know it profile. It's taking away this valuable traffic that LinkedIn profile provides you with by being hosted on your blog. So I am a huge supporter of the LinkedIn profile plugin. You're getting all of your traffic directly like I said, it's beautifully designed, it's responsive, so you can view it on a cell phone or a desktop and it's gonna look great either way. And again, it's called Link in Profile by Empress. So let's move on. We've got our domain, we've chosen our website and our hosting provider, we've downloaded some of those key plugins, and now it's time to choose our theme. 
Now, remember what we said earlier, it's really important not to sacrifice content for design. But that being said, obviously we want a nice looking website, right? So a few favorite places that I love for themes are Empress. They also design themes, same designer as Lincoln Profile, Hello You, She Shops with two P's, so S-H-O-P-P-E-S, Katrina Bass, and Restored 316. I often get questions about my website, and my website is actually a custom design by Alpine Lane. It's something that I recommend exploring down the road once you've kind of got your feet wet, but I do recommend going with a theme first because it's going to save you time, headache, and expenses of a custom design while you're getting started, and there are so many beautiful options that can be customized with your colors, your branding, to choose from on these websites like I just mentioned. So choosing a theme can definitely take a little bit of time. And once you finally lock one down that you've decided on, it's definitely a wait. And it's like, all right, I can get to that next step and really start focusing on my content. And so what I want to share with you is my recommendation for when you are sitting there with a blank blog and you're ready to kind of start designing that content and you don't know where to start. And we're going to talk about setting up your key pages. And so there are four key pages. There's really three and the fourth is kind of like page slash post that we're going to talk about today. Your about page, your contact page, your terms and conditions, and your five pillar posts. So number one is your about page. This is like a no-brainer page. It should be the first thing that you set up. You're going to introduce yourself, let your audience know what they can expect to gain from visiting your website. Maybe put some fun facts, let people get to know you as much as they can from reading about you on the other side of a computer screen. Then is going to come your contact page. How can readers or brands get in touch? Where can they find you on social media? One of the biggest mistakes that I see some bloggers make with their website designs is that they don't have an easily accessible contact page or they don't have their social media icons front and center on their blog. Oftentimes, the first thing that I do when I stumble upon the blog is I click on that Instagram logo. I'm super visual, so I like to kind of see what their feed looks like. I like to watch their stories and learn a little bit about them. And if I can't find that Instagram button or any social media button, I'm usually dropping off. So just keep that in mind when you're setting up. Make sure that that contact page and those social media icons are front and center and easily accessible. Your next page is going to be your terms and conditions, and it's really important not to leave out your disclaimer. This is going to protect you from a business standpoint, and it's just going to let your readers know things like, I respect your privacy, I'm not sharing your information, some of the links that may be shared on my blog may earn me a little bit of a commission, but all of that is out in the open, and that's what you're going to get when you visit my site. So if you want a generic terms and conditions or some inspo, you can visit daniellegervino.com slash terms dash of dash use. And your last key page is actually not even a page at all. It is your five pillar post. It's kind of like that last step after you do your about, your contact, your terms and conditions. Then it's time for you to get some content up on the blog. So when you think about your pillar posts, I want you to think about foundational evergreen content that is going to define your brand. 
usually pillar posts are informational or instructional. A pillar post is evergreen, and what I mean by that is that it is never going to become irrelevant. It's going to be something that if discovered on Pinterest, people can click on and year after year can find value from. And it's also going to be the kind of post that's going to get your very first blog reader saying this was super instructional or informational and I'm ready to come back and eager to come back to see what else I can learn. I think one of the hardest things when we first start a blog and sit down in a quiet room and get ready to just like hit the ground running and start creating content that we often forget is how hard it can be to go through that process when it's not something that you're super accustomed to. So I want to talk just a little bit about the key things to remember with your content planning, drafting, and marketing. And you can certainly visit older episodes where we'll go more in depth, but I didn't want to skip over this as it's such an important part in the process of building your brand. So you're obviously going to start with your planning. And my advice here is to work from the outside in. Take a look at your calendar and set up a schedule. So working from the outside in, what I mean here is to start with key content that relates to the current quarter or month. So for example, 4th of July recipes, fall outfits, fill in that really easy holiday or seasonal content that makes sense. Then you can take a look at your calendar and fill in some key dates that you may want to center a post around. And then you can pencil in the rest. And what you're going to find is if you work from the outside in like that, it's going to feel way less overwhelming because you have put in all of the obvious content and then you've put in all of the content based around certain dates. And then it's just a matter of filling in the gaps. When you set up your schedule, it's really important to decide for yourself how many days a week do you plan to post. And my biggest advice here is to keep it realistic. Unless you are dedicating your full-time job to blogging, you shouldn't expect to be posting to the blog five days a week. It's too much. I used to post twice a week and working full-time, that was really hard, but I was able to get it done with a really rigid schedule. But now I have actually cut it down to one time a week, sometimes two, sometimes every other week. I make sure I'm consistently producing content, but that content being produced, although it's being produced less often, it's really catering to what my readers want and what they need. Once you've got your planning covered, you're going to start your drafting. And so my first little suggestion here is to keep idealists. So I use my iPhone notes app. You can use Pinterest. You can use your Instagram saves. You can get ideas for blog content really anywhere. Those idea lists are going to come in really handy when you're doing your content planning and when you're kind of penciling in those in between pieces of content. It's going to help you kind of pull from these lists and not have to start at square one with where do I go from here and what content do I fill in with. Another little tip for content drafting is to use that duplicate post plugin. Like I mentioned before, this is going to help you eliminate all of the legwork that comes with formatting a blog post. You do it once, twice, three times, maybe you have two or three layouts that you work from for your posts, and then you never have to do it again. You just click that duplicate post, and then you just have to fill in your content. And my third tip here is your content drafting. 
utilize a post checklist. So this is going to take the guesswork out of making sure that you've covered all of your pre-publishing essentials. I'm actually going to be sharing a post checklist as a resource in our Facebook group. And so if you are new around here and you haven't visited our Facebook group yet, you can join over at bit dot ly slash blogging unscripted on fb what i do is every time i release an episode i post an episode thread and that thread has any resources i mentioned throughout so it's really easy for you guys to find them and use them So once you've got your planning down and your drafting down, you publish your post and then it's time to market your content. So there's a few things that you need to make sure that you are checking off as you market. If you want to learn a little more about this, I highly recommend jumping back to episode two, which is all about best practices for marketing your brand. So a few quick places to make sure to market to right away right after you click that publish button. Number one is Instagram. So push that post to Instagram, design a new post slide, get creative, build buzz around that post, share to your stories, wherever your audience is most engaged. Make sure you also publish on Pinterest. So you can use sites like Canva or you can use Photoshop to design Pinterest templates so you can market that post to your Pinterest audience. And Pinterest is by far my number one traffic driver to my blog. So that should never be something that you leave out. If you want to learn more about this topic, head over to episode nine, which is using Pinterest to leverage your brand potential. We'll go into really intricate details on how you can use the platform to really find success for driving traffic and seeing growth. So after a few months, once you have built up your content and you've kind of got the hang of the whole blog post process and you're up and running, you may start a subscriber list. And once you do that, that should be a key marketing tactic that you're using every time you push publish on a blog. Episode 15 is going to give you all the deets, seven steps to mastering your email marketing strategy for when you're ready to jump into that. All right, it's the segment that you have been waiting for. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about setting up your Instagram for success. So you've done all the beginning stuff, the blog stuff, and now you're like, all right, I got to get my social media in check. And if you are starting from the very beginning, it can be super daunting because you see others around you who are growing. You see others around you who have Instagram or who seemingly have Instagram wrapped around their finger and who have got it down. And so I want to give you some of the foundational tips and tricks for setting up a really successful social media account. The number one thing to keep in mind when you're thinking Instagram as a social media platform is that it is a relationship game, not a numbers game. I'll say it again relationship over numbers. So I want to do a little exercise and walk through a few really common thoughts that a lot of us have when starting with Instagram. I want to walk through then the perceived fixes and the things that we do to kind of address those thoughts. And then I want to talk about the reality behind it all. So I'm going to give you a few scenarios and we'll go through them together. So the first thought that a lot of us had is I need to grow a follower base so brands will take me seriously and so I can start making money. Obviously, right? This is one of the first things we think of. I don't have enough followers to start 
working with brands. And so that's a really common thought that I'm sure many of you have had. I had it when I started out. So the perceived fix that a lot of us think is large group giveaways, paying for followers, maybe doing the follow-unfollow method, which is where you follow a bunch of accounts with the notion that they're going to notice you and follow you back, and then a day or two later, you unfollow those accounts, so you're left with the followers, and they're stuck with nothing. Here's the reality to that perceived fix. Inflated numbers don't drive genuine engagement. There are very few brands these days who are not tuned into the reality that followers are so easily gained and bought. And so what they're really looking for here is genuine engagement from a loyal audience and an audience who is going to trust you as an influencer. So instead of starting out and doing those large group giveaways, paying for followers, doing that follow-unfollow method, the right way instead is slow, intentional growth. It's quality content and branding. It's smaller collaborations within your niche. So maybe you're doing a group try-on or an Amazon favorites share, something that's going to get your audience interacting and interested in something that's going to help you grow in an organic way. The right way is also consistency and the right way is genuine relationships. If you are prioritizing those things, slow intentional growth, quality content and branding, collaborations within your niche, consistency and genuine relationships, that is going to fix that issue of I need to grow a follower base so brands are going to take me seriously. And it might take a little while. It might take a long while, but in the end, you are going to end up so much better off than if you do it the wrong way. So scenario number two, I need to boost my engagement so I can prove to brands that I'm worth working with. I even have this thought now with over 100,000 followers. I think this is a really common thought that many of us experience on the reg. So the perceived fix here is Instagram engagement groups where bloggers engage and interact with each other's content to boost and inflate engagement. It might be an Instagram marketing service, so an outside service that you pay to do your engaging for you. Um, And it also, a perceived fix, might be spending the majority of your time just engaging with other people so you can get that engagement back. The reality here, though, is that inflated engagement those ways is super transparent. And not only you're wasting your money, but you're also wasting your time. And so instead, the right way is to dive into how can you really strategize to boost that engagement. And if you haven't given a listen, I recommend going back to episode three, which is going to cover seven strategies to boost your Instagram engagement. Some of the things that we'll cover there are strategic captions and call to actions within your posts, intentional hashtags, cross promotion on other social media channels, consistency, and genuine relationships. So I wanted to go through those two scenarios with you because I think that the following perception and the engagement perception is I think our biggest struggle when it comes to social media and a lot of us run into a roadblock and go in the wrong direction. And if we just kind of recenter ourselves and take the long road, 
we're going to see that it might take a little bit longer to get there, but it's going to pay off in the end. And so I want to share with you a little, I want to peel back the curtain a little bit and share what I personally attribute my own growth to. So if I was sitting across from someone and they said to me, how did you get to where you are on Instagram? These are the eight things that I would tell them. Number one, genuine relationships with my followers. Number two, quality content. Number three, clearly defined branding. Number four, creative editing. Number five, willingness to teach others. Number six, real life on Instagram stories. Number seven, using hashtags between 100,000 and 500,000 reach. So really strategic hashtag usage and understanding the algorithm. Although the algorithm is a beast that none of us can really tame, there have been lots of updates to the algorithm, but the core of it remains the same. And so if you want a little bit more insight into the Instagram algorithm, I recommend going back and giving our most listened to episode a listen, which is episode 10. Have you ever heard of the no like trust strategy? It is a really popular marketing strategy, and when applied to Instagram, it makes a lot of freaking sense, and it can really help you to understand how to be successful on the platform. The strategy more or less dives into the behavior of your followers and what it takes for them to really become super loyal to your content and help you grow. The first pillar of the no like trust strategy is no. So someone saying, I recognize that blogger, or I think I recognize that blogger versus I know that blogger. Your goal is to get every follower in that no category versus that recognize category. So some ways that you can do this, let your followers in past the surface level. You can do this through captions, stories, DM convos. There's so many ways to connect one-on-one and it's really important to prioritize that. You can also let your followers get to know you by not trying to reach everyone because when you try to reach everyone in the end, you end up reaching no one. This is where knowing your ideal reader and follower comes in really handy because when you know your ideal reader or your ideal follower, you're able to produce content that is going to cater to that exact specific person. And that's also going to help them feel like they know you. Knowing builds interest and awareness. And so if someone feels like they know you, when you pop up on their feed, they're going to head to your page. They're going to show you that support. They're going to be more inclined to reply to one of your stories and have a outside conversation about it one-on-one. And so that no, gaining that no from a follower where they say, oh yeah, I know that blogger, not, I think I recognize them is so important. So the next pillar of this strategy is the like strategy. So once you get your followers knowing you, you have to get them to like you, right? And to like you, someone has to feel a connection with you. Some of the ways in which you can gain likeness from your followers are by inspiring, educating, entertaining, and connecting. And you can do this through posts, through captions, through DM combos, through stories, like I mentioned before. If you're able to provide real value to someone who feels like they know you, 
there's no question that they're also going to like you. And this also ties into something that's really important and something that I'm really passionate about doing with my followers, which is feedback. How can I help you? So polls, question boxes, let your followers get involved and learn what they like. You should already kind of know a little bit about what they like because they're your ideal reader and your ideal follower. But beyond that, get to know them on more of an individual basis. And so once they know you and they like you, we move on to the next pillar, which is trust. And trust happens when a follower is able to take evidence from the past, be it something that you shared, a conversation that you have, and apply that evidence to the future with an expectation going forward, then they trust you. Trusting essentially means being able to anticipate an outcome. So I want to jump out of all the technical language just for a second and jump into an example of how I have used no like trust so you can get a little bit more context. So the way that I let my followers get to know me is that I talk openly about my life and the little things that someone who's just browsing wouldn't necessarily see on the surface. I tell funny stories or hardships and this is something that you certainly have to be comfortable doing but it's also something that if you're opening your life up to having a blog, having a social media presence, You have to kind of get there in some way, shape, or form. So for example, I've shared about my past as a teacher and my honest experience with changing careers. I've shared about my mental health struggles and who I am with my friends and family. And as I share those things, I'm doing so by talking to my followers like they're a girlfriend. By doing that, by opening up past surface level and by just chatting like it's a casual conversation between friends, that leads to like. And I bring in my followers even closer and get them to like me by prioritizing my one-to-one follower relationships. So I'll share more personal stories via DM. I will offer my most valuable advice or insight when someone asks, for example, an Instagram stories tutorial or growth or collaboration questions. Remember that in order for someone to like you, they need to feel a connection. And so your strategy needs to be How do I make that connection? Is it through a one-on-one DM? Is it through engaging with post captions? Is it through if someone's supporting me, maybe visiting their page and supporting them too? And as we move a little bit deeper to trust, some of the ways that I get my followers to trust me is by staying consistent, following up, and always kind of leaving an open invite to come back. You know, if I share a recipe, you have to message me back and let me know what you thought. I'd love to know your opinion. If you have any tweaks, leave an open invitation, whatever the conversation is. Doing these little one-on-one things allows my followers to have an expectation and develop an expectation of the outcome and what's going to happen and how I'm going to react if they ever need something from me in the future. And so if I bring them in and say, I'm here to chat, I'm here to hear you out, I'm checking my DMs, I'm here to have a conversation with you, they're going to know that a little bit down the road, if they need something or have a question, I'm going to be there to have that one-on-one again. And so when you break it down like that, the no like trust strategy really isn't too complicated. It's a three pillar strategy that makes a lot of sense when you look at it from the outside in, getting to know you, liking someone, and then trusting someone. It's just like a relationship. But when you apply it to your business, it's really, really going to help you to grow. 
So I'm going to go one step further today and prove to you why this strategy is so effective. I asked my own followers, I did a poll on Instagram and I asked them a few questions and I'm going to read you some of their honest and outright responses. So one of the questions that I asked them are, what are the main reasons that you choose to follow me and invest in my content? So I'm just going to rattle off a bunch. um, And these are real answers from real people. Authenticity. It shines through in everything you do. You're down to earth and relatable. I enjoy your style and makeup tips. You just seem so genuine and approachable. Fun, genuine, personable, great tips, recommendation. This feels silly, but I follow you because I feel like we're friends. That's so big, guys. That is so big if someone says that. And honestly, I've formed some really genuine relationships with my followers. Nothing feels forced or fake. I enjoy everything that you share, like following a friend. You're real and you interact. You're honest, kind, willing to help others. I like you. LOL. You keep it real. You're funny and you actually take the time to interact. You're very relatable and funny and I love your style. And so I wanted to read those to you. Gives me a little boost of confidence when I read those, by the way. But I wanted to read those to you to show you how that no like trust strategy has translated in real life. So let's take it one step further. I also asked my followers, what types of content has helped you feel most connected as a follower? One-on-one conversations, sharing your mental health, deaf makes it more personal to follow you. Mental health talks, you talk to your audience like they're your friends. Stories and the fact that you always respond to DMs and comments. Everyday life, your style, and just how you treat us like you're talking to a real friend. Everyday life, seeing you in every aspect and habitat and being honest about products. You always respond and answer so many of our questions. Feels genuine. Everyday life, anxiety talks, career talks, one-on-ones. You put a lot of effort into connecting with your followers. All the things you do help. Everyday life, showing how to do something instead of telling, detailing, whys and why nots. Day-to-day, real-life stuff, behind-the-scenes, fails, stuff that doesn't feel staged or fake. Sharing everyday life that opens up the opportunity for one-on-one combos. That is such a big one. Such a big one. And so if these two questions and the real answers don't convince you that you need to hone in on that strategy, I don't know what will relationships and authenticity and prioritizing those relationships that will always be at the top of my list when it comes to Instagram strategy. And I think there's something to be said from listening to those real responses, making a connection with that many people and having an audience who is all kind of collectively saying that the same thing is going to mean that you've accomplished something and you're doing something right. And those loyal followers are the ones that are going to stick with you over time. They're going to be the ones that invest in your content, that buy your products or your courses or your classes. And those are going to be the people that really matter. So I have another fun little resource I'm going to leave in the episode thread in our Facebook group. 
bit.ly slash blogging unscripted on FB. And it is a mini, really quick, like five minute Instagram at a glance audit. And so it's going to ask you a few questions and you're going to be able to kind of pull it up, pull your Instagram profile up and hone in on the things that you're doing right. And some of the things that you need to just make little tweaks to that is going to help to get your profile in tip top shape. So look out for that as one of our episode resources. And that brings us to our very last segment of today's episode. I know this has been jam packed and we're going to wrap with monetizing your blog and social media. How do I make money? Because I know that that's a question on many of our minds. Once we've got all of the basics down, we're like, all right, we've done it. We've launched the business. Now I need to start bringing in the income. For those of you getting started, I wanted to just share some of the basics of my personal sources of income and also some typical first year expenses that you can expect. We'll do a full episode on monetization and we'll kind of dive in a little bit later down the road, but today I want to just give you the basics. So my personal sources of income come from the following. Sponsorships make up about 65% of my income whereas affiliate revenue comes in second place and that makes up maybe like 15, 16% of my income. After that comes product sales, which make up about 10% of my income. I don't know if this is adding to 100, by the way. I'm looking at a chart that I made. And after product sales comes consulting, and that makes up about 8% of my income. So sponsorships is the bulk, then affiliate revenue, then product sales from like presets or courses, and then consulting, which is the one-on-one work I do with new bloggers or seasoned bloggers who need help with branding or social media, stuff like that. Other ways to make money, influencer marketing platforms, which are like a one-stop shop for brand collaborations and affiliate partnerships, advertisements. A lot of people make a lot of ad revenue, especially those who also have YouTube as part of their brand, paid courses, webinars, or eBooks. Some of you may be going down that route and memberships. Some people actually have monthly memberships depending on what they do. That can be a really big income driver. Bottom line here when it comes to income is that it's really important not to put all of your eggs in one basket. There are very few bloggers out there who are making 90 plus percent of their income off of one thing. We call those the macro bloggers or the ones that have established themselves and who have been around for so long that their partnerships kind of fund their career. But for many of us who are still growing, whether we've been in the business for one year, three years, five years, 10 years, we need to be mindful of taking a little bit from each income stream. And that's going to add up to a lot more than if we just put our blinders on and look down one road. The last thing that I want to talk a little bit about is typical first year expenses. So I've done a little bit of math and I have kind of calculated what my first year of expenses looked like. And it comes out to right around $350 for the year. And before I break it down for you, I'll say this. Plan to invest in your business if you expect to see a return. You cannot expect anything if you are not willing and able 
to put in a little bit of capital. So here's how those typical first year expenses break down. We've got $15.95 about a year for your domain. If you invest in that LinkedIn profile plugin, let's say you do, that's $27 a year. And then we have hosting, which if you were to host with SiteGround, you'd be spending about $47 a year. Adobe Lightroom subscription, which is going to help you edit your photos. That's a really important one for me and one that I invested in right off the bat. Comes to about $130 per year. And another expense, which I highly recommend, you may not need this right away, but you will most likely need it within a few months is QuickBooks. And QuickBooks is going to take care of all of your income, expenses, taxes, If you are doing brand collaborations and if you're at that point, it will take care of your invoices for you. It's basically a way of taking a step up from doing it all on an Excel sheet, which I started out doing. QuickBooks has been probably one of the most worthwhile investments that I've made. So domain name, LinkedIn profile plugin, hosting platform, Adobe Lightroom, and QuickBooks. Let's say those are your basic first year expenses. That's going to cost you about $350 a year. Now, there are many bloggers who will make this back in their first few months. And there are some bloggers who will not make this back year one. And so my advice here is that if you are starting out, plan to have a little bit of money set aside that if you put it into your business and you don't get it back yet, you're not going to be struggling from it. And like I said before, always keep in mind that you need to plan to invest in your business. And that keyword there is plan. So plan a little bit ahead if you need to, if you expect to see a return. So where do you go from here? You've like been overloaded with content. What happens next? I want to just leave you with a few things that you can do once you press stop and finish this episode. So set up a plan of action, do your research, take your time, practice thoughtful decision-making, don't do anything on impulse if you can help it, and accept that you will make mistakes You'll continue to make mistakes. I make mistakes every day. That is totally okay. I don't know who needs to hear that, but I'm sure there are some of you listening who do. Because this was one of our longer episodes, we are going to skip over the Q&A. If you still have any questions or there's anything that I didn't answer or you need a little bit more background on, let me know by sending me a DM on Instagram at Danielle Gervino, or you can post your question to a running Q&A thread in the Blogging Unscripted Facebook group. And if you're not yet a member, you can join by searching Blogging Unscripted on Facebook or just visiting the link bit.ly slash blogging unscripted on FB. If you haven't already, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And most importantly, don't forget to come say hi. I love talking with you. I love when you tag me in your stories that you're listening. It makes my day. So make sure that you reach out. Don't be a stranger. Come follow me on Instagram at Danielle Gervino and at Blogging Unscripted. And I will see you guys for our next episode. Chat soon.